1: This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in the original podcast for the complete houndsman. Yeah, so how many many days a week can you spend?
0: As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I
1: get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart-pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll
2: tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Houndsman XP podcast. For this week's episode... I have a guest that I've been waiting to have on the show for some time, and I literally can't think of a more perfect time to have him than now. As everybody knows, we have our, the truth section about competition coon hunting. And I thought to myself, it'd be really cool to have a sighthound competition hunter on to kind of explain that world as well. And so I reached out to my friend, Steve Downs and well, I'll let him explain, but Let's just say Steve Downs is really well-known in the sighthound community, especially in the sighthound hunting and competition community. And uh, he's got really good dogs and a wealth of knowledge. I really enjoy talking to him. I always enjoy talking to him. And uh, he's just an all-around really cool guy. And I really enjoy talking to him and nerding out about jackrabbits. I'm pretty famous for that. But before we get there, everyone, I just wanted to take a quick moment to first thank everyone who showed up to our recent Crowdcast event. We we had a Crowdcast with Chip Kosher from Joy Dog Foods, and he taught us how to interpret dog food labels and a lot more and it was a lot about canine nutrition he even answered some questions about what would be good for my greyhounds as well as pretty much every other dog food question that all our fans had which there was a lot and that was exactly what we were hoping for it's a great way to interact with the community at large and that's exactly what the patreon account is for and after all that being said everyone we're cruising across that field we're patiently waiting boom there goes that jackrabbit. he's up and running It's time to send those speed dogs and let's get this thing
1: underway. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle living it every day to the fullest from the rocky mountains to the southern swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond go to southernhoundhunting.com get your subscription for 15 dollars a year southern hound hunting magazine promoting the fair chase experience How's it going,
2: brother?
0: Hey, good. How are you?
2: I'm good. I'm glad to have you on the show. It's been a long time coming, and uh, I've heard a lot of good things about you, so I'm I'm really happy to finally have you on the Houndsman XP podcast.
0: Well, thanks for having me. I hope I can uh, live up to the expectations.
2: <laughs> I think you've had many decades for that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, I've heard a few of the podcasts. There's been a lot of good guests on there, so I think it's, uh, it's a challenge.
2: <laughs> we'll add to the pantheon. Well, I got my friend Steve on the, on the line today, uh, Steve's been around in the sighthound community a long time, but I'm going to let you introduce yourself, sir. Why don't you, uh, give yourself an introduction to the hounds and XP world and tell us a little about yourself and a bit, a little bit about your life with dogs.
0: Well, my name is Steve Downs. I uh, live in California. I'm a fourth generation greyhound courser owner, uh, four generations on my mother's side, three generations on my father's side. Um, I live uh, really to run jackrabbits with greyhounds and uh, coursing and uh, it's always been a part of my life and my family's life and uh, just really can't wait till the next time I get out there with my dogs.
2: I wanna, I, uh, well, you just took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> That's how I feel. I'm glad that there's people out there who have been doing as long as you and still feel that way. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm in good company right now and this is good. <laughs> I wanted to have some of the other Houndsman XP people on, but they just can't get as nerdy about a jackrabbit race as I can. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I, think I think it gets in your blood if you're kind of born into it or around it enough, you know, that uh the thrill of the chase is hard to be.
2: Why don't you tell us about the first time you saw a jackrabbit race? You know, I
0: probably can't even remember the very first time, but uh, the first one that I can actually Acknowledge remembering was a dog that was kind of told it was mine, and I was, I would think, probably four or five years old, and uh, the dogs were on a jackrabbit, and this particular dog, uh, the, the dogs, we coursed next to a, uh, an orange uh, orchard, and that was the escape for the jackrabbits, so dogs course the rabbits and most of them with the dogs my dad had at the time managed to make that orchard in this particular time right when my the dog that was mine felix was his name was coming of age um, right as the rabbit was entering the orchard uh, felix ran up there and jumped over a orange branch and landed on the jack on the other side just right inside the orchard and i can remember being thrilled to death when that happened it was probably the moment it hooked me and uh yeah. I'll never
2: forget that, man. It's so interesting to, to hear about the different conditions where we run our dogs. Cause an orchard sounds like, I mean, where, where I hunt, it's just open desert. And so it's just this almost treadmill of just grass, yucca and mesquite. And so the idea of having an orchard nearby is really foreign to me. So lay down where you're running in California and what your terrain's like and how it's different from my desert.
0: Well, it's, it's a little bit different now than it was, say, when I was a kid. When I was a kid, uh, I grew up actually coursing in the Los Angeles area. So Los Angeles, Orange County, Huntington Beach, uh, around the LAX airport, uh, Santa Ana. So a lot of these areas were very green and a lot of cultivated fields and orchards. And um, that was kind of the landscape then. And you think of Los Angeles now and it doesn't even cross your mind, you think about hunting. but if you really think about the way Los Angeles is very mild weather, you know, it's not as extreme as a desert, it's close to the beach. Uh, it was very cool in the morning, almost year-round. Uh, get close to the beach, the, the soil is sandy and soft. It was actually pristine Perfect. uh yeah, coursing grounds. And uh so in my early life uh, coursing, most of it was in the Los Angeles, Orange County area, and as As civilization expanded, we migrated uh, out with the jackrabbits to more of the desert type area. And now I mostly course, most often anyways, in the San Joaquin Valley, the Bakersfield area.
2: Oh, you're running up there with Karen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do. I I know Karen quite well, and uh, she has very good salukis. uh, And uh, yeah, I'm I'm fortunate enough to see her and a lot of the other salukis, yeah, in that area.
2: I, uh, I hope to carry on those very good Saluki genes. <laughs> I got one of her pups. <laughs>
0: I'll, be, I'll be surprised if he's not outstanding as well. And so Karen's never had nothing but good dogs. Uh, her along with the uh, the people associated with her and around her, they've always had really good dogs. And uh, and I've been fortunate to see a lot of Salukis, a lot of different people's dogs run because I've judged quite a bit. I've judged uh, six six grand courses and uh many regular hunts so uh that's kind of a ringside seat to get to see a lot of these different breeds compete and everything so uh like i said i feel fortunate to be sitting in that judging chair and see a lot of these different breeds run and
2: we're, we're totally gonna get there later in the show that was one of the major <laughs> reasons i wanted to have you on the show is to talk about the world of sighthound competition hunting because the coonhound competition hunt competition hunting world is huge and it's really influenced um a lot of the way hounds have been bred today and uh i really want to contrast the differences between the coon hound competition scene and the sight hound competition hunting scene as well as the parallels that they both would have but i think it's um because by its very nature coon hunting and coursing could not be more opposite except for the fact that we're hunting with dogs so um I just wanted to give our listeners, you know, coursing is a very uh, small community in the hound hunting community. And so I always want to take the time to break down what it is we're doing because it, it as with any kind of hound hunting, th- there's always that mystique of how simple it seems. And in reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. And coursing seems to be the most simple of all kinds of hound hunting. It's just dog sees jackrabbit, dog chases jackrabbit. But there's so much more to it than that. And, uh, when you're judging a competition hound hunt that is where you get into those deep intricacies of how complicated it actually is to catch a jackrabbit you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah definitely uh, but uh like you said it, it is based in hunting you know uh, the sport was developed really out of hunting dogs so uh there's the little link in intricacies that you you, you've mentioned and then we'll get into those but uh it it really is hunting dogs you know the, Mm. the best coursing dogs are capable of chasing game and capturing game and bringing it back to you and uh that's really the quintessential coursing dog
2: i totally agree why don't you break down what you're coursing with right now because that's another thing i really like about you i'll let you explain what are you running right now I run
0: greyhounds and uh, uh, most people run mixes of greyhounds is a little more popular uh, due to the different areas they live in or or uh, just the dogs that were available to them. But I run uh, mostly pure greyhounds. Uh, I've had Salukis, I've had Whippets, I've had most cro- types of different types of crosses, but uh, I enjoy the greyhound. And, you know, I heard one of the, uh, the other podcasts, it was about sinhounds, uh, sin that uh, somebody alluded to the fact that, you know, where you live determines a lot of what you can be successful with. So, you know, in the harsh, harsh, wide open prairies out in New Mexico, uh, greyhounds, uh, maybe a little too fast, a little too, uh, fragile, you know, to succeed there consistently or even last a long time. But where I live, uh, in coursing in the San Joaquin Valley, I do hunt in the desert too. I'm able to be successful with greyhounds. Uh, they uh, they're able to run success. You know, they're able to hold up in the fields I run in. They have enough endurance, and their speed helps a lot too. In some of the smaller fields that I may run in, that you wouldn't, and uh, so the dogs are able to excel and maybe catch capture a hare before it escapes the smaller field.
2: And you're not So that's another big distinction that I really like is that you're not running track bred greyhounds. And there's two kinds of greyhounds to all the listeners. There's track bred greyhounds, which in the hunting parlance is called a hot blood. And then a lot of people call the other kind of greyhound a cold blood, which is like a hunting bred greyhound. And you're not running track dogs. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's, that's correct. Track dogs, um, you know, they, um, they are exactly what you said. They're very hot blooded. They're, they're bred to run 30 to 45 seconds in an oval, in a condition, perfectly conditioned oval track. And uh, they've been bred to run that way since what, you know, the first Greyhound track in Emeryville, 1920, I think OB Smith put that in. So uh, since then, that genre has basically pursued that, trying to get that. 30 seconds down to 28 seconds and at 45 seconds down to, uh, 44 seconds. And, uh, like I said, they're running in a quite a bit different environment. So, uh, I am not because they are, th- it's hard to keep them sound as, as you probably know. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm not running, uh, track dogs. Uh, I, I do go back to that every once in a while, because, uh, as you breathe through the years, you may start breathing too cold or a little too slow and you have to get some speed back into the dog, so you have to breed that, but with that, there's some, um, you know, you, you you inherit some issues, too, as far as uh, with their feet or, uh, you know, their ability to to uh, sustain the, the heat that's outside and, and uh, you know, endurance.
2: Yeah, and I just, if I could, I'd like to ask you to break down the difference between your cold-blood greyhounds and a hot-blood greyhound. You talked about, like, what kind of makes a hot blood that way, but when you have your cold blood dogs, I saw one of your first dogs. This one, I was really interested in your lines. Um, You gave a dog to David Heiss and I saw that dog and he's not like any Greyhound I've ever seen before. He's why why don't you explain what your line of Greyhounds is like? Because, and and I want to make this also clear to our listeners. Like when, when Steve is saying, Oh, they're too slow. These are still 40 plus dogs. These are still dogs that are going 40 plus miles an hour. It's just hot bloods bring raw power and speed into some breeding and they're very popular across to other sighthound crosses for that extreme power. And and like you said, I mean, they they do have their drawbacks. But describe your cold blood greyhounds, because they're really, really interesting, I think. Well, and I really like them.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and the way that I've achieved it, you know, like you said, there's several ways to achieve that. Uh as uh, people outcross the different breeds, you know, uh, Saluki happens to be the most popular right now, but Hounds, through the years were the most common when I was a kid. Uh, Whippet as well uh, can add some endurance. Uh, mine mine have show breeding into them, which I know is right away going to turn off a lot of people, but show, the show breeders, uh, they separated around the early 1900s from the coursing dogs all greyhounds were coursing dogs so let's let's get that out of the way every greyhound the late 1800s prior to that were coursing dogs they were hunting coursing dogs they were bred to chase jackrabbits and or hares and I I should say hares and and, uh, European brown hares in England or wherever they were and um the first one to differentiate from that was the show lines, and they were bred for aesthetic purposes, and they've uh, they exaggerated a lot of the ways they look and bred this funky looking dog. When we see a show dog now, it doesn't look anything like those original greyhounds. I think that the the track dog actually looks a lot closer to those original coursing dogs than a show dog would. But what they did, and I think it was totally by accident, they actually preserve the endurance that was in the greyhounds originally so it was kind of originally discovered at least in the people or the realm that I know by the Bullmans in the uh, early 70s with a dog named Strider and he was a, the, yeah
1: there you go
0: Yeah, they had, they had excellent taste in names uh, but the, anyways Strider they had a show male and bred a track female and I'll never forget uh an asking about Strider. He's a legend now with uh, organized coursing people. You know, any any greyhound person that's been involved in organized coursing in the United States knows uh the names the Bowman's one and Strider too. But the greatest compliment I ever got about Strider just uh, just to show the difference was uh was from Charles Alexander, a uh, very prena- uh, renowned coursing person. He writes for a few of the dog magazines. And he said that uh, before Strider, everybody was running track dogs or bloods. And he said, we all had Salukis, Charles Alexander's Saluki breeder. And uh, he said, prior to, to Strider, we just had to wait for you know, the greyhounds go up there and turn the rabbit a couple of times, get out of our way. Salukis take over the course, run the rabbit down, capture the hare. We get the blue ribbon at the end of the day. And he said, Strider ruined everything. He said, Strider came along and he didn't get tired. He, he'd hold the lead, you know, as long as it, he needed to, to capture the hair. And we quit getting in the rivets. You know, in Strider's first year, he was the High Point Greyhound. He, was, he won the grand course. And I think, I think almost every Greyhound since Strider that has won the grand course is a descendant of Strider's. So, uh, wow! not that that was the only bloodline, but they just happened to do that footwork and it worked out well, you know, so, so that minor descendants of Strider and, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm running now.
2: So you would think, um, so, and I agree with you that, uh, hot blood's probably gonna start tapering off at around 45 seconds. What do you think your dog's distance is? What, what do you think they're honestly starting to lose that edge at what, what time? What, what's your average course length? That's really important.
0: You know, my average course isn't, doesn't get into the, the the two to three minute area real often as yours does. I usually capture most of my hairs prior to that, but I'd say around two minutes, I think you'd notice that, uh, the, that my dogs aren't as sharp as they were at the beginning. But, you know, if you're putting Greyhound-like speed and, and agility and they're not blowing the turns on a jack for two minutes, You'll usually trip him up or trick him into running into yep. somebody. Uh, I so, totally agree. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. It usually works, but they, you know, a lot of things go with that. You know, you have to have the footing for a greyhound to really turn hard and really press the hair like that. Uh, you run in harder fields, the dogs uh, can't run like that. So there's a lot of variables that go with that. It, yeah. if you think it's just endurance, but there's a lot that goes into being successful at high speed.
2: And that's one thing I really learned quickly is that, man, our hard ground, I thought my dogs were blowing past them. I mean, they were, excuse me, my, my two greyhounds, my long dogs were blowing past a lot, especially my male Pronto. He's big and powerful. But man, when you get in there after a rain, when that rock hard ground softens up and they stay right on them. And those are the shortest courses I've had. It's like you have a brand new set of dogs out there. I mean, when that ground moistens up, especially my lightweight Jip, she's like 45 pounds and she can just stay right on a rabbit. And those are always my shortest courses, is when my female, who's really agile, can just stay right up on him and give those rabbits an intense amount of pressure. It panics them and it makes the hair not make good decisions. And when you start flustering him and getting him off his game plan, you can catch him a lot quicker because. With my Salukis and we have these Saluki races, God, man, we've had them go five and a half minutes, you know, three minutes. Our average is two, 238. And so your dogs have caught him a while before that, which is awesome, really awesome. I love yeah. greyhounds, they're great. I wish that our desert was so, I wish my desert was less punishing to their bodies because they're so fun to watch run. Goodness, they're awesome. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they are exactly like you said. The the greyhound is supposed to make the 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 hare make a mistake and then then capitalize on that and catch it. They're not supposed to run them down and tire them out. Now it's great to have that ability to run a couple of minutes because the dogs are going to make some mistakes, so you, you need that in a successful coursing dog. Salukis are totally different. Salukis Salukis can outrun anything. I think I once heard that you know Salukis the fastest animal on earth after two minutes, and so. You know, land animal. So they, uh, they can, they know they have that in their hip pocket, you know, like, all right, with, you know, rabbits pretty agile, still a little fast. I can, I can hang around here and I'm going to outlast this guy. And uh, so it's a totally different uh, mindset. You, know, you need
2: huge prairies to make a Saluki consistent. That's one thing I learned too. We were hunting in a 5,000 acre pasture, and we were catching rabbits. We got down into like a 16, 1700 acre pasture, and we were losing a lot to the brush, and it was a bummer. You know what I mean? You need big space. But we also hunt in a 13,000 acre pasture. It was, it's, it's perfect for a Saluki. <laughs> you got a five minute course around every turn on 13,000 acres. <laughs>
0: And, you know, and that's, you bring up another good point. You know, you, you find a rabbit out in the middle of that, uh, that large area, he, he can run. You know, I, I, I was just telling my wife last week when we were out uh, looking around chasing rabbits, you know, we we got into a wide open area and I don't know the exact size, but, you know, where the rabbit would have to go a mile and a half or two miles to get away. And uh, I told her, I said, you know, we, hey, we get up a rabbit out here. He, there's a reason he's out here because he's live <laughs> here. He's been he's been whipping everything his whole life for this uh two miles. Uh you know, that's why he can still be here. So I,
2: I think jackrabbits are just amazing animals, they're so inconspicuous, and yet there's they're just badass. There's really no word for it. Did you ever gun hunt for jackrabbits? Did you ever like shoot them with 22s and stuff growing up, or did you dog it only?
0: You know, I have done it here and there when I was younger. I've never really uh, you know got into it
2: because we've always had greyhounds around you know yeah. and, you,
0: and when you do have uh, hound you kind of feel it's a waste but
2: absolutely I shot a few with shotguns
0: <laughs> I've, I've shot a few with 22s of course and uh, yeah yeah
2: they're the reason i ask is because i grew up gun hunting and you don't really gain a respect for a jackrabbit until you get after him with dogs and i'm with you now i can't even aim a gun at a jackrabbit anymore i sold all of my small game rifles i, I don't even want to shoot at one Like I love to watch that thing have this epic duel with these amazing dogs that, I mean, to me, it's like a waste to shoot them with a gun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think it goes across the board. I think it's, you know, as I get a little older, you know, when I was younger, I used to try to capture, you know, catch every rabbit I could and stay out there longer and really try to pile them up, you know? And, uh, now if I get a good run or two and, uh, they get a lot of work in, you know. I always like to see the dogs catch a rabbit, you know, or or even two, because it's so good for the dogs, you know. Really pumps them up, and they, you know, it's it's a reward for them. I, I feed the jacks to my dogs, and uh, they they enjoy that. And uh, but uh, personally, I get a good runner too, and uh, they get away. I it, it doesn't break my heart. I, I I'm happy to see them live to fight another day. You know, uh, it's it's great. Uh, it's great just you them. Know, I, I like you said, I have a total respect for Jackrabbits. I think they're unbelievable, and they've brought me so much uh, pleasure through the years. Um, I think if you don't naturally kind of head that way, uh, you know, there's you're you're missing something. You know,
2: could not agree more, sir. <laughs> you know, and and the thing is, is I'm so lucky because I I I gravitate towards people that have been there, done that, and I'm so lucky to have started out with good mentors because. I feel like I progressed through those stages of the hunter development fast because I, too, really just wanted to stack them up. But hunting with Justin and David and all these guys have been doing it for like 30 years and more has gotten me into the more appreciation of the hound work and the actual race itself more than just stacking them up. You know what I mean? And, and that's what every beginner wants to do. You want to prove that you have good dogs, you know, and yeah. uh, it's, it's really important to have that ability to just move through that, and if you get outrun, be be happy that that rabbit's there for the next time. You know what I mean? I mean, you can run him again. That's the only upside to getting outrun. I, I hate it. I, I I'm not gonna lie. I love catching a rabbit, but when I put one in a hole, I'm happy because you got him. Technically, I think, in my opinion, the jackrabbit's really only going in a hole when he's desperate, and uh, and he lives to run another day.
0: Yeah, you know, you, you have that, and then if you if you can go home with all the dogs in one piece and healthy, that's a very successful day too. You can get out and run a couple of rabbits and go home. It's like, wow, man, everybody's toes are still facing the right direction, and uh, <laughs> yeah. nobody's pads are missing. Uh, yep. you know, you had a pretty good day. You know,
1: and we'll pick up this interview right after a word from one of our sponsors. Hey Hound Doggers, if there is one thing that you could identify Houndsman XP with, it has got to be the message of building unity and bridging the gap. That's why we are proud to sponsor with a company like Dogs R-Tread. Dogs R-Tread is a company that is based in Inkham, Idaho, it's run by Houndsman. The products were designed by Houndsman. We're talking decades of experience in the field with some legendary hounds doing some legendary work out there. And Kevin Hall has put his decades of experience into building products that benefit you, the houndsman. So when you're shopping for your gear, check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20%, off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP 20% off at checkout. Go to the website today at dogsartree.com. Let me ask you something. You've been in course of a long time. What do
2: you think? For your, and I know you can only speak to the places that you're familiar with in your area and you have your best set of three dogs. What do you think is a good catch percentage, a good, honest catch percentage for a season?
0: I think if you're catching one out of three, you're doing pretty good. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. I, I would say, you know, interesting because uh, you can manipulate that a lot. You know, like you said, uh, I have been around a little while and, uh, you know, I get, I can leash up my dogs and wait till I step on them in heavy cover and ah. uh, change. I can adjust those percentages if I want. But I think if you're just out really trying to stay in the wide open and run bucks, uh if you can pull down one out of three, even one out of four. I, I think I think you're doing pretty good, really.
2: I agree with that. I, I think um yeah, it's interesting. So so why don't you describe how you hunt with your dogs? Because I also like your videos. And I was like, how is he getting those videos on foot like that? Why don't you describe how you hunt?
0: You, you know, I, I hunt a couple of different ways, depending. Most of the time, I'm by myself. So, you know, I, I usually try to have, I usually bring three or four dogs. I think, I think the ultimate course is probably two or three dogs, but you always have pups or old dogs, you know. Uh, so, I try to, I try to, I usually run three or four dogs. I just kind of walk out there. If I have a dog, uh, most of mine stay kind of behind me, believe it or not. Uh, but I do have a couple of hunters. Uh, the The whippet that I have, uh, she'll get out a little ways and probably just because the pups hassled her so much when she was little, you know, but uh, if that dog gets out a little too far, I'll pull her back in. But most of the time I, I try to leave the dogs loose and just walk around and jack jumps up and uh you know they uh chase it now when i go with the there's other hunters you got to leash them up because uh you know the other guys are you don't want to get on their chases and you know it's kind of like an honor system they don't run on yours you don't run on theirs usually not everybody honors that but that's <laughs> uh, the way my grandfather raised raised us and taught us you know you didn't slip on somebody else's tired rabbit or oh yeah kid. no way it beats them it beats them you know you you know, wish him good luck and run him another day. But uh, on those those events, you know, I'll, I'll, when I go with the guys, I'll bring two or three dogs, leash him up, you know, run my rabbit, you know, when he jumps in front of me, watch the other guys run, and that's pretty much how I do it. So it is on foot, walking around, looking for wild uh, jackrabbits.
2: You need to come and jump in my buggy with me, brother. <laughs> yeah
0: that 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 looks like a lot of fun you know i I think I told you once before I have done a little bit of that in the past uh, uh, out here we used to do it chasing and pickups and stuff kind of doing the same thing and uh, it's not always the best scenario for the for every place you know some of the smaller California fields in that uh, the jacks seem to be a little more wary when you you do do that but out in the desert it's a great place to do that obviously works out very well. And yeah, that's pretty awesome. You're right there close to the dogs, the entire chase. And that's, that's just, that's just great being able to see it all.
2: But tell us how big are the fields you're hunting in on average?
0: I think most of them are, are either a uh, mile or two miles squares. I think a lot of them, uh, I don't think a lot of them are way bigger than that. Uh, you know, some smaller, you know, with greyhounds, you can get away with a yeah. half mile square you get a good break, you know, you put a lot of English on them before they get uh, 30, 40 seconds into the Mm run. So, and and that's cool. And I utilize that a lot early in the, in the season. Like right now, my dogs are just getting in shape. So the first two times I went, I went three times now this season, Uh, this past Sunday was my third time out. First time I chanced the desert and got lucky, got the distance run I wanted. But the first two times I actually went, to kind of a field that I was more predictable where it had, it has a known absolute escape. And I stayed, you know, 30 or 40 seconds from that escape to ensure I didn't run any further than that till I get the dogs in better shape.
2: Yeah, man, that is, I love greyhounds for that. When you have that speed and power, you can just get up on a rabbit, force him to turn and really take control of the race a lot quicker. And I love that because I won't, I won't even attempt a field if it's not a mile and a half wide by a mile tall minimum, so a rectangle, that is a bare minimum. I won't even go near anything smaller than that, so that if you're hunting in mile by mile fields that are smaller than that, that's really awesome. And that would open up a lot more areas for me, but um, let me ask you something. Do you think a jackrabbit has a predetermined escape route in his bed? If he's laying in his form on the prairie, do you think he has a predetermined escape plan when he comes out of that form and takes off from those greyhounds?
0: I think I think that some of them might you know I think you you know there's places that I go where I know that rabbit where he's going to end up going and uh, but you know the way that you jump on that can determine a lot of that the way you work a field you know you, you hunt master a lot at organized coursing events and even just by yourself you, you learn a lot about approaching a rabbit so you may know oh he's got 500 yards and he's going to try to run over in those that weed pile over there I'm going to try to you know approach him from that weed pile make me make him make a circle before he goes there but i, I yeah. think most of them have a plan but I think you do surprise some of them too you could tell some of them get up and they're just in shock they weren't thinking about running
2: you yeah know, and-, and it's so funny too because I've had rabbits I get up and I'm turning them within seconds and I'm like oh he's a goner we've already scrambled his brain and I get out run <laughs> and and I've had them the other way around where They're running so good. And you're like, dang, that's a strong rabbit. And then all of a sudden they just start slowing down and making mistakes. And I'm like, huh, they're really unpredictable animal in so many ways, because I mean, they are a metaphor for unpredictability. They come out of nowhere. I mean, how often do you see one before it jumps out of its bed? I think I've seen one maybe that I saw before we got it up and Paul Domsky saw it. I didn't even see it. He was like, there's a rabbit right there. And I didn't believe him. <laughs> Do you ever see them before they get up?
0: Yeah. You know, as long as I've been doing it, I have I've seen several, but most of the time you can't. And just, just to, uh, emphasize what you said, I can remember one time, um, you know, chasing a rabbit with, with two other guys and, uh cooling the dogs off and just dirt, just dirt around this, this, uh, water puddle that was left from some rain, you know, sort of letting the dogs get a drink of water and, uh, standing there. We turned around and this is this is 10 minutes or so. We turned around, took one step, and there was one laying there in the dirt right next to us. So I mean this I and mean, I've seen that on 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 more than a handful of occasions where he's literally in the wide open five feet from you and uh you never saw him. And it happens a lot of coursing events, believe it or not. The dogs you'll you'll get a chase off and the uh, you know get the dogs back in. Everybody's been standing around talking, eating sandwiches and everything. And um you'll Put the the next set of dogs online. You'll take two steps and one will jump. It's like man, that rabbit been here the entire time. You know? I and love it's really, that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really amazing. And in Wyoming, you see them a lot just laying there. The whitetails are totally uh, different animals. So the white tail jackrabbits, uh, you know, I, I probably. I've seen thousands and thousands of black tails in my life. And I probably have seen, you know, 150 white tails in my trips up there. And I've seen a good handful of them just sitting there in that same scenario where you may see one out of 5,000 black tails that does it. Uh, the white tails, a lot of times like, Hey, there's a rabbit right over here. And, you know, you're like, Oh, okay. You know, get the dogs over there and you got to kick them up and huh. chase them. It's actually not that uncommon with white tails.
2: Do they run differently than a black tail?
0: They run totally different. They uh, they jump and flash their sides, kind of like deer do, uh, kind of I think to signal the other rabbits in the area. So uh, huh, they don't just get up smoking like a, a blacktail. They'll get up and they screw around a little bit. They buck and kick in the air, and uh, they're flashing. I think, like I said, to the other uh, jackrabbits in the area to let them know that there's trouble in the area, and then um, then they will hit the ground and. You know, I, I've seen them where they they beat good greyhounds uh, like like blacktails, and but most of them most of them aren't. I don't think as good as blacktails, and they they go to holes, which I know you deal with there. But they, it's very rare in California. I'll run one in a hole all year. Uh, if I run a hundred jackrabbits, maybe one will go in a hole. They don't go to ground here. It's very unusual. Maybe they'll run in a pipe. Everyone, but even that is it's kind of rare. Believe it or
2: not. Wow, so it's totally different. They better outrun you straight up if they want to get away.
0: Yeah, or get in something. There's there's brush, like you said. The fields are a lot of the fields are smaller, and you you know you, you talk about that one by one square, and you ain't in the middle of that square all the time. You know, yeah, good you're point. On the edge, and you don't you don't exactly get him to kick up in the direction you want. So you get a lot of you get a lot of short. You, you get you get more short chases and you really get the big whopper that goes out in the middle. But but another point that you got to, you know, Jack, uh, we were talking about earlier how awesome jackrabbits really are i i've seen on more than one occasion the best dogs around the best fastest greyhounds first thing in the morning uh jump jacks and you just couldn't turn them they just get up and they just run straight it happens there's jackrabbits that are so fast uh, greyhounds can't break them and uh i don't know about the fastest greyhound in the world if you got brett lee out here or something if they could pull that off but i'm just saying i've seen good hot-blooded uh, greyhounds that just didn't put turns on rabbits.
2: They're so badass. Cause we, we've, we've had them. Um, I mean, and I've seen them outrun dogs in four minute runs where the dogs are starting to really, really have cotton mouth and start foaming up and that rabbit doesn't even look like he's lost a step. I have tons of pictures of him where he looks like he still has a cool level head at three and a half minutes and he's still cranking hard. You know, they're, they're incredible athletes. Gosh, they're so good. And I think it's their stealth. As much as their running ability, I think is even more incredible because they are impossible to find. (laughs) Like, if I ran a hundred rabbits in a season, by the way, I was thinking about this when you were saying that. If I ran a hundred rabbits in a season, I'd I'd faint. I'd fall out of my chair. In the best boom year we've ever had, we ran thirty-one rabbits in one season. Because how long does it take you to find one on average? Do you think on a good year, not a not a bust year, on like an average year?
0: You know what if, 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 if I'm at coursing events and going where other people go, but if, if I go where, uh, if I go where I want to go by myself, like fields that I, I, uh, I know that are a known commodity. I, I usually get a rabbit within five minutes. I know, uh, where I know where there's, uh, I know where there's some jackrabbits and, uh, but, but, uh, that's,
2: that's my soul. <laughs> <laughs> I live in the wrong place. <laughs>
0: There's, there's, a, there's a lot of jacks out here, but not all the fields are like that. And of course. Uh, and if all the guys knew about all those spots, they wouldn't be like that either. You know, just, you got to have your, you got to have your little, that's one thing you learn after doing it for 40, 50 years. You got to have a couple of spots that, uh, you know, go to areas where you can for sure find a rabbit or two.
2: I would say even in our go-to areas, it takes us probably minimum, usually 30 minutes to find one on an average year. On bust years like we experienced last year, between two and five hours to find one, so it's a lot different for me.
0: (laughs) And it it happens out here, too. I mean, sometimes we walk and, and the desert is totally different. The desert, you know, I think the rabbits are a little more nomadic, I think that they, uh they don't necessarily live in the exact same area and, uh, just stay there. They kind of move with the, uh, with the desert and the openness of the desert, where in, uh, areas that were once cultivated or are, are cultivated. I think the rabbits kind of live in the field. So you mm-hmm. may not, you may not catch them out in the middle of the field, um, uh, and get a good break on them that day, but they, they live there. You know, yeah. if you went into the heavier cover where they get away and that they're in there. You'll, you'll see them. So, uh, it's a little bit different in the desert just because of that. Sometimes you go to the desert and you jump 10 rabbits and sometimes you go to the same place. You're like, wow, this field's really great. You know, we just went there last week, rabbits everywhere. And, uh, and you can't find a rabbit.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, That exact thing has happened to us.
1: <laughs> Dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military-grade kennel crates. Uh, I got got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy-duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel. Easily fits in the back of an SUV or if you're traveling with a camper shell. It's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just got to check out their Dash series. This is a watering system, and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years but this system is all integrated into one unit. And the way it's designed out of high impact plastic, the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, The 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before. And as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at Dakota283.com and at checkout, enter the code HXP10 and get 10% off of your order. So
2: I'm going to shift gears a little bit. One of the major reasons I really wanted to have you on the show is that you've been around in the sighthound competition hunting scene. And I, full disclosure, have never been to a NAFCA event. I don't really know anything about competition hunting. So I'm just going to turn you loose. And I would like you to explain to our listeners the ins and outs of sighthound competition hunting. And I'm going to start by asking, what is NAFCA? and the basics of sighthound competition hunting? Well, NAFTA
0: is the National Open Field Coursing Association. Uh, it's just one of the clubs, but I think it's the largest one in the United States. There's a few others up north and, um, and around, but it's the one that's been around the longest, I think, and, uh, and has sustained itself the longest. And uh, Nafca was started in the late 60s by primarily Saluki, uh, runners believe it or not i think there was more organized greyhound stuff already going on with uh, track stuff and lure coursing and that uh, uh there was a lot of big greyhound coursing clubs in california in the you know mid 1800s all the way up to the early 1900s and uh i think that they there's just always been a big greyhound contingency so believe it or not the salukis i think kind of started uh, nakha uh, which was off the, at the at the beginning and um, so, just if you want me to explain how the, the hunt the hunt thing goes and everything, so members of the club it's a multi uh, breed uh, club. So everything is defined as a sighthound, there's several several of them out there: whippets, salukis, greyhounds, uh, Scottish deerhounds, Irish wolfhounds, Russian wolfhounds or borzois, uh, silken windhounds, Magyar Agyars, uh, Galgos from Spain. Um, and Ibiza hounds, Pharaoh hounds, and I'm probably forgetting one, but I believe that's the majority of them.
2: No long dogs. No
0: long dogs. They're all registered uh, registered dogs, and and there was a rationale behind that. Uh, The rationale was that they would try to encourage uh, these breeds that were just going to shows and becoming less and less performance uh, dogs uh, for them to have a venue to compete in a uh, hunting, coursing environment and keep these dogs competitive. So that was kind of the rationale behind that uh, and um, why, why it was that way at the beginning. I, I think that I personally would mind seeing a long dog uh, uh, club in NAFCA in because I think to truly find out um, how good your dogs are, I think we all know how good the the long dogs and lurchers can be and are, and I think that they really should be involved in that to really test the hounds to see if your breeding program is, uh, you know, keeping up with what's really going on out there. But uh, anyway, so all these clubs, uh, these different breeds have their own clubs, parent clubs, NAFCA. NAFCA puts on or puts on uh, hunts, the breed clubs put on their own hunts. I I actually run the two greyhound clubs in the United States, West Coast Greyhounds and California Greyhound Coursing Association. And we put on primarily greyhound hunts. And uh, the way that the hunts work is, uh, you know, you'll put a a list out there, you know, hey, we're going to have hunts on these dates to uh, people that are involved in the sport, uh, you know. And they'll people will send in entries you'll um, meet up at a place you'll have a random draw and draw those dogs and usually the the dogs are set up in trios. There we put blankets on them to tell them apart some dogs are the same color and it's easy to see the blankets uh, so uh, pink yellow and blue are the blanket colors and um, those dogs run in order of the way they were selected at the draw and the. Uh, the uh, winner is determined by a judge who sits there and, and um, judges those dogs uh, by criteria of speed, uh, endurance, turning ability, uh, the takes in there, uh, drive, I think is one of the other categories. Uh, and uh, so uh, that that's the tools they use to judge. There's a judging book, a perfect scores a hundred points. Um uh, so you you kind of if uh, you see a dog run up on the rabbit and make a turn right away, you get so many points for speed and um so on and so on. And um the field the way it's organized in the field, the actual hunt, those people get there the three dogs that are actually in that first race are out in front of what's called the gallery, which is the dogs are the dogs and people that aren't racing in that first race. And they line up in a line behind those hunt dogs and they are trying to scare up these wild jackrabbits. So they're walking in a slow methodical um, way to kick up a jackrabbit. Somebody in the gallery will yell rabbit, the hunt master. He's the one guy in charge of, uh, Seeing if all the dogs are fairly sighted, and then um, he'll call tally ho, and they'll release the three dogs, and the judge will go to work.
2: Okay, so that was amazingly descriptive. Thank you. That was really good answer. I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I'm going to ask questions because I have I like to talk to people with really diverse experiences in this in this um, lifestyle I love so much, and. I've heard a lot of pros and cons for NAFCA. And first off, I really want to um, say that I really have come to really appreciate and agree with NAFCA only allowing purebred dogs or paper dogs to run because I really do like that there is a venue and a mission to preserve these historic breeds, keeping them hunting jackrabbits. And one thing I really wanted to drill down into you is how, okay, so are the judges, and I really wanted to make this clear too, is that these are wild jackrabbits. These are not caged or tame rabbits let go for the dogs. These are wild hares that we have to go out and find. And uh, yeah. I, th- I think um, if I could be so bold, I could explain that a caged or domestic, there's no such thing as a domestic jackrabbit. They they don't breed in captivity. they They have to be tamed, which would mean they'd be caught in the wild as a baby and raised. I've never even heard of that being done. And if you catch a jackrabbit and put it in a cage and then release it for your dogs, it's a really pitiful display. They're very stressed out. They don't run well. So these are wild hares that we have to go out and hunt. And so I just wanted to make that also very abundantly clear. And I think you would agree with me about the caged rabbits just being good yeah. for nothing but, nothing but like a poodle
0: that's <laughs> definitely true and i'll you, tell you and i'll add something else that's kind of unique i think to the american jackrabbit compared to say the european hare or irish hare but uh, you can't even hardly successfully drive jackrabbits uh, through a coursing field now i'm not saying it's impossible but you know where the waterloo cup was ran and all that those fields were kind of designed to funnel the, the Hares properly you you can get a bunch of people in the be, in the weeds and start beating on them and try to get all the jacks to run where you want them to run and it's almost impossible. Jacks have sort of got their own thing going. Uh, so yeah, that that is part of the beauty of it. We are jumping the jacks in his house where he lives, where he knows where the escape is, he knows where all the holes are and where the the creek bed might be or you know whatever's out there. So they are not disadvantaged in any way as far as uh, their habitat and where they're they're they're
2: meant to thrive. Okay, let me ask you something. Does a dog that is super successful in NAFCA also translate into an excellent hunting dog? And by that, I mean, a lot of people say that a competition coon dog is wildly different than a gray dog or a pleasure dog. And again, this is a world I'm separated from. This is only what I'm gleaning from being a part of the show. And of course, we all know that a competition coon dog can be a fantastic hunting dog. But I want to ask you is a dog that is an absolute master of winning in NAFCA also going to be a good running hunting pack dog in a group is it does it take a special kind of dog to be a masterful NAFCA dog? Or can you just take any good hunting dog out there? That's a fantastic running dog and Be successful in NAFCA Are you breeding for a certain trait? I guess is kind of the point I'm asking.
0: You are breeding. You are breeding for certain traits. It is a little bit different environment. You know, the dog needs to be able to thrive being on a leash sometimes all day long, and uh, you know, it's 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 different. You you, you don't go out there and just do what you want. Dogs jump a rabbit within the first hour or two in the morning, and they run and everything like that. But back back to your actual question. I think that the dogs that are considered the great dogs in NAFTA, um, they are good hunting dogs. Uh, most of them would excel. I don't think it would be across every every breed, like say if a dog was only successful in his breed and it maybe was a um, not one of the big three. The big three meaning greyhounds, salukis, and whippets. Greyhounds, and salukis, and whippets of all the other siding on breeds, they consistently catch jackrabbits. The other the other breeds, uh, and I think they're wonderful and everything. And I, I don't really want to knock them, but I don't think they are nearly as successful as actually uh, taking hares on a consistent basis. So if you have a dog that's one of the other breeds and he's only competing against those other breeds and he's always winning hunts Uh, because you don't have to catch the rabbit, you know, to win a hunt. Uh, You're not, you know, that's only one of the small criterias as far as uh, judging the dog. If he's beating the other dogs, he's going to win hunts and maybe getting a blue ribbon every weekend. He may never have caught caught a rabbit.
2: Break that down for me. How can you win? Because this is a big contentious point about the like anti-Nafka people. How can you win a competition without catching a jackrabbit? I know this answer. And I think, really um masterful people of explaining this have fantastic invalid points explain to us how a dog can win that's not even catching the jackrabbit
0: well it is on a point system you know and and the and the point the actual taking of the hair, which is not the point of a coursing event the, port, the point of a coursing event is competition between the other dogs not really hunting or capturing the hare and it. uh That's really, that's really the bottom line. So if the dog shows superior speed over the other dogs, superior agility, superior endurance, and the rabbits happen to get away that day, uh, you know, he he could still win. Now, in that same coursing event of the other dog, uh, you know, overhauling and smoking the uh, jackrabbits they're chasing, I, uh, I'm, I'm in the contingent of that dog proving that he's had a superior day. Uh, you know, we're not judging hares if that dog's taking rabbits, he's he's done what we've really tried to do. So, uh, you know, so, uh, the last grand course that was ran, um, somebody was like, Hey, you know, my dog did this and my dog did that, and uh, you know, uh, I, they were giving me some static, you know, as far as judging it. You know, I thought my dog won that course and this and that, and, and uh, you know, and I was hearing all this secondhand, like I told that. The person that told me, I said, "How many rabbits did that guy's dog catch that weekend?" Well, he didn't catch any rabbits. So I'm like, "Well, the dog, the one the Grand Course caught all three of them." Now, this isn't a rabbit catching contest, but if you're you're doing if you're doing this really well, you're catching rabbits. I that's, agree. <laughs> that's the that's the bottom line.
2: And that's what I didn't understand when I had heard. And I've had a diverse set of opinions because I seek them out, but you're not, com- that's, you said it perfectly. You're not competing against the rabbit. You're competing against the other dogs. And that's another yeah. reason why I think it's very smart to have papered breeds running. Cause you're not going to know what you're running against. If you're running a diverse cast of crew here, you know, if you have a, a, a set of long dogs out there, they can be wildly different in style. It, just by the nature of their breeding. So if you have three greyhounds competing against each other, it's much easier to judge, I'm assuming. So break down what a good winning greyhound in a NAFCA event, what's he got under the hood?
0: I think think a good greyhound has that early speed that we expect to see out of a greyhound. Uh, and honestly, what turns me on the most, and is one of the rarest traits, and what I try to breed for in a good greyhound, is a dog that can stay glued to the rabbit. Yep. You know, I, I think I shared with you the story of uh, one of the great greyhounds in the past. Or, uh, the, the dog's name was Cream Puff, and this particular dog, it got to the rabbit, and it stayed within a foot behind that rabbit. And I don't care what that rabbit did till that rabbit got in a hole or it caught it, it it stayed glued to that rabbit's butt, and I can remember somebody asking me or saying, "Well, don't you think this dog could be Cream Puff?" Or, "Don't you think that dog could be Cream Puff?" And I remember replying to them, "That gap between between Cream Puff and the rabbit is one foot. So if that dog can fit in that one foot gap, then maybe, yeah, it could it could be Cream Puff." But uh, yeah, so uh, that that that's I think the the biggest trait for a Graham because we know. Like I said, with the Saluki, the game, the, the clock is ticking on the hair. He's going to run out of gas eventually, and Saluki's going to overtake it if he stays in the field too long. The greyhound, the clock's kind of the other way. The clock is on the greyhound, and uh, so that greyhound can't make a bunch of mistakes. He needs to stay glued to that hair. He can't afford to blow a turn and have to make up a telephone pole length, uh, you know, uh, every turn. He's going to eventually run out of juice, so I think that's one of the most important aspects. The speed, of course, as mentioned, it's probably number one. And then the greyhound needs to run a couple of minutes. You can't capture all the greyhounds in a short amount of time. But if a greyhound is agile and it has a good mouth, which not all of them do, you see a good greyhound that has speed and a great mouth, it leaves a lot of people like, man, if that would have just went just a little bit further, oh, you know, Oh, Rex would have got up there and passed him up. I know he was getting tired, but you know they eliminate all those problems if they capture that rabbit early. But yep. they still got the
2: Would you say that in general, Salukis have better mouths than Greyhounds? I think
0: I think that they I think that they do. I I only because I think the majority of Greyhounds aren't coursing bred Greyhounds. They're track dogs. Track dog is raw material. To, in my book you know it's some place you go to get speed when you have to you know and they they have some good traits other than that they should they thrive in a kennel setting and without a bunch of attention but um i think because of that that's the case i don't know if that was a case maybe 50 60 years ago you know where these dogs the uh, greyhounds were maybe bred more for uh coursing and that but yeah salukis are good at catching rabbits you know salukis are very smart you know if you you've owned other dogs and then you get a Saluki, you know, first thing you notice is how they're, they're kind of a pain in the butt, you know, they're aloof and you gotta, you gotta work with them more and everything and uh, try to do more stuff to get them in your system and everything. But that's, a lot of that's just due to their intelligence level. You know, they, they, they aren't easily manipulated. You know, a lot of greyhounds are, are very easily manipulated. They're not, they're way more biddable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I've learned
2: that. I've learned that. (laughs) My greyhounds were a breeze to train and handle and they handle really good. And my Salukis, they're very sweet. They were raised very well and they come from really well thought out breeding. I mean, Karen's dogs are very tame. They were all over me. Paul's dogs were super tame. They were all over me when I came to his house. But they are a lot tougher to train and I was ready for it. But man, it's like you tell them to do something and they're like, "Mm, maybe not. How about that <laughs> you know
0: yeah and and I, I know that's a that's a like i said that's a pain and that frustrates a lot of us dog owners but i think if you've you've been around salukis enough and you know them well enough um, i don't think it's a it's a because they're stupid i think because they're thinking stuff through and it's more of a intellectual challenge, to you, uh, <laughs> which uh, sometimes there's no excuse for it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, I, I really think that they, they fall in that category. And I think that that translates in the field. They, they're looking at the, the rabbit and they're floating around and thinking, okay, well, he's going to probably turn left here. If I kind of play like I'm going to the right and they, they, they sucker him into making moves and capturing them because of that.
2: Have you won the grand course? No, I haven't. I,
0: I actually haven't competed in as many as you would think. I've been in five or six, but I haven't. I've never, never had the right rabbit on the last day when I had a good dog or uh, just didn't have the right dog at the time. It's a tough hunt to win. And uh, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, that back to that thing, well, you know, how good are the dogs to the grand course? It, it, it's not always won by the best dog in the field and I'm not making excuses for myself. Uh, uh, you know, it, but it's always won by a good dog. So like there may have been a better dog at that grand course, and that's not always the case. A lot of times it just works out right. It's the best dog. But these are because they are wild jack rabbits, you, not everybody gets the rabbit in the middle of the field and that nice run right in front of you. Somebody's getting that corner rabbit. Like you said, if if you just were gonna say, well, every field's some kind of a big square or a rectangle, somebody's getting the one in the corner. Or on the edge. Right, right. And then somebody's getting one right in the middle, and somebody's getting that jump, even though the hunt master's trying to keep them as compar- comparable as possible. They're wild jack. Somebody's, yep. somebody's getting that jack that's 30 yards away, and somebody's getting that one that jumped up 10 feet away. Yep. And uh, you need three good courses. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's three that you got a good break on. Your dog was sighted early. You had a great dog to begin with, and he made the most of that opportunity. It's a tough hunt to win, uh, but like I said,
2: great dogs win it. Remember, folks, I ran 30 rabbits in six months of hunting. You need to find three rabbits in one day. (laughs) So, for that that one dog. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For that one, you know. So, the Grand Course, you know, they're smaller now, but they used to be between 40 and 60 dogs so you know break that down by threes and they every all those dogs run at least twice and the ones that make the finals run three times so you're you're talking uh you know 100 150 right 170 jackrabbits or something like that i mean i don't think i'm off that much you know (laughs) on those larger hunts
2: so uh I, yeah, I think that's the important thing about the, the NAFCA, or that judged coursing. So here's a question I have, because this is always kind of, I've always wondered this, and this is the time to ask. What happens? So you're on foot, and you the judges, I'm assuming, are there with the gallery, correct?
0: No, most of the time, uh, and I was off on my math because those three dogs, you know they run three at a time so it's more like 90 jacks probably for the grand course just uh I don't know if I couldn't quit thinking about that the judge is usually at a at a vantage point uh,
2: oh, okay usually, that was my on question. A,
0: usually on a vehicle so uh you're, you're you're the way you run with the buggy and that I'm very familiar with being on a vehicle uh it's usually a large vehicle uh set, set up in a strategic location like I say we ran a lot of these fields a lot of times like you probably have in yours we have an idea of where the jacks may run or um, sometimes we just stay close to the hunt dogs but yeah so i'm nice. going sitting on top of my four-wheel drive i have a rack on top of that uh binoculars and then i hear that tally ho i'm up in the air i'm standing up so i'm you know i'm what perfect yeah 20 more than 20 feet off the ground with that vantage point to see over those little rises and falls that's and key
2: that. You, you think it's flat out there until you send your greyhounds and you're on foot and all of a sudden they go over a little four foot rise and you don't see anything so that was a big question if you're trying to judge a hunt how are you guys getting that vantage point
0: yeah that, that's exactly it so i mean and I'm, I'm thinking of right now of uh, when I drive out you know they'll say oh we're going to go work this area go over there so even though I, even though I have the height of the vehicle and even standing up there I always look for a rise to drive up on or an elevated road too so sometimes I'll be uh, at least 20 30 feet above the you know the where the dogs are actually running so it's it's it makes a big difference and you got you got some good binoculars some good glass you can you can pull in a lot of that you know
2: I think one of the major things that's made this, the coonhound com- competition hunting on the grand scale, something that's also um, almost, well, it's have a huge following is there's a, there's good money to be made. Is, can you make money in NAFCA? I, I don't know any of that. Is it possible? I mean, I'm sure there's prize, but I don't know if it's as big as it is in the coonhound world.
0: It, it isn't. Uh, you know, there was a day when, when coursing was big, uh, big bucks, but that fizzled out years and years ago. I think just kind of the nature of where it really blew up to with California and the way that California is with uh, organized uh, hunting type events and everything like that. There was a day in, uh, you know, I think in the late 1800s, which seems like crazy, but uh, you know, where thousands came to see coursing events in San Francisco. There was four parks coursing parks in san francisco and thousands attended every time there was betting on the dogs and it was all big money but with with coursing it the money went with the track the track greyhound so with the development of the greyhound track that was so much more easily controlled a bunch of people can sit in one spot yep that that those dogs are going to run right in front of them and so i think the 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 money the money went that route, and uh, so coursing is really was developed more by amateurs. Uh, there's, there's not, it's not really a money deal. I, I'm sure, you know. Well, I know people make a lot, make a lot of money off of breeding because they, they, uh, you know, have won coursing events or they have prestigious dogs, but it's more along those lines. There's not big prize money or anything.
2: That's such a good way to think about it. I mean, by its very nature, coursing is such a mobile mm-hmm. event. And just the fact that it's tough to spectate it. And and I've gotten to this point now where, I mean, I will not hunt certain fields on foot only because I can't spectate my dogs. They go over a tiny rise and I didn't get into coursing to watch six seconds of butts going over the mountain. You know what I mean? I, I, exactly. I and yeah. so I, I really can understand that. that's a great thought, man. So here's my next question. There is another famous sight hound hunting competition, and it could be considered like kind of the opposite in a lot of ways. Are you familiar with the Dutch Salmon Desert Hare Pack Hunt?
0: I am, um, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I did. I never had the pleasure of meeting Dutch. Just to get back to the gentleman it was named after, he he judged a grand course, as you know, uh, or maybe you didn't know. I think in seventy six or seventy seven. Uh, he was a Nafka participant and everything, and uh, I love the premise of the hunt that that uh, he developed, and it was kind of a run as you brung, and more of a rabbit catching contest, and uh, yeah, I think that's that's uh, really a wonderful event. I've I never been fortunate enough to make it out there. I've always wanted to. I know the last couple of years have been kind of tough with the rabbit population and everything, but uh, yeah, I was familiar with that and uh, knew of Dutch very well. Know a lot of people that knew him really well, never had the pleasure of meeting him.
2: I only met him in the twilight of his life. And that's a real shame because he was a huge inspiration for me to want to start writing about it. I love writing and also um, to to immortalize these voices of people that have been doing this for decades and decades and have like really carved out the sport and changed it. You know what I mean? Like you you have these people that are literally pioneering or not pioneering but they're continuing on these legacies of these wonderful hounds and one theme i hear quite commonly and you kind of alluded to it a little earlier in the show is that you know would you say that now is kind of like a resurgence of these excellent dogs cuz i seem to hear a lot that a lot of guys ran dogs that really couldn't catch a rabbit consistently and and now I hear everyone seems to have awesome dogs. Like everywhere I go, West Texas, these guys have really good dogs, and and New Mexico and and uh, you know California, especially. It seems like in the Salukis, at least from what I've heard, these guys and girls that have been doing this for decades would. Do you think we're kind of in a golden age of really good coursing dogs right now? You know,
0: just speaking with California, I I, I don't know if that's really the the case uh i think with salukis there's there's a higher percentage of good salukis that's that's a fact but uh you know with just the guys that are hunting with long dogs and um and greyhounds and all that uh i think there was there was many more people involved in it uh 20 30 40 years ago uh you know and even before my time my uncle talked about a time i remember telling me a story when they were in los angeles and they came around a corner, he was going with my grandfather and another guy, and they came around a corner and he said there was at least 50 guys out there and 150 greyhounds. And he said that was that was Damn. not uncommon. And, uh, and he also elaborated on that. He said my grandfather grabbed him by the arm and said, boy, don't get your dogs out. And he said it wasn't <laughs> too much longer after that, he, there were people coming by looking for dogs because they were still in each other's dogs. But, uh, <laughs> but there used to be a much larger contingent of, uh, people not really involved with the organized and the organized coursing too. uh, NAFTA really died down. You know, it, it is, we live in a world where, uh, hunting and coursing, at least in California is, uh, probably not as, uh, prolific or we don't want it to be even with the antis and everything like that. So, uh it's kind of needs to stay under the radar to keep from getting hassled. We, we did have an incident once where we had some trouble, uh, with, um, with the media and, um, that's hurt us a little bit with the organized coursing, but just, I think the nature of at least California not being as rural as it once was and less farmland, there's just not as many people with greyhounds uh, that I, I think back to, to, uh, like my uncle's story, but also Ray Sailors, who was uh, a mentor of mine, who who came out here in the Dust Bowl days uh, into the uh, Bakersfield area. He was a migrant from uh, Oklahoma, and he said that uh, he told me that Weed Patch, which is actually that migrant camp that uh, Steinbeck refers to in The Grapes of Wrath, uh, he said that that town of Weed Patch, when in the in the 40s, 50s, and in the 60s, he said that was a greyhound town. He goes. You drove through weed patch. There was a greyhound tied up at the barbershop. shop. There was uh, one walking behind kids going down to the store behind every fence. He said everybody had a greyhound, you know, because these people wow. were migrants, poor people that were using them to catch hares uh, <laughs> and rabbits for food, and uh, we we're very prolific in that in that San Joaquin Valley uh, back in the uh, those days. So back to your question, I, I think I think there's less dogs. Uh, and so I think there may be less good dogs just in general because of the the overall numbers. Uh, with the Salukis, some of this last phase where you see these, these coming over from uh, Persia, uh, these Persian Salukis, they seem to have a little more speed than some of the old ones. Now, there were some old ones that had a lot of speed, but they seem to be fewer and further between. Uh, these, these, these last, uh, this last 10, 15 years or so, we've been seeing more Salukis that seem to have that early speed and uh, all the other stuff Salukis possess. And uh, I've seen some really incredible Salukis in the last 10, 15 years, just mind blowing.
2: You've run a really large variety of dogs. You've run Salukis and log dogs. You've owned them, correct?
0: Yes. Yes, I have. And I've owned very good Salukis. You know, if you're you're associated with those organized coursing people the good salukis come through most of them uh not all of them but most of them are the connection for the salukis you know dan belkin once said it, it, it back to the salukis the salukis in the late 60s early 70s dan belkin said he could name every every kennel and you know off of the top of his head in the united states there wasn't a lot of salukis around and that's why you know you all these older long dogs And long dog people, they were—they were all greyhound stag crosses or Borzoi crosses. There was no Saluki greyhound crosses prior to probably the early eighties.
2: That's exactly Uh, what Dean Bohannon told me. He's like, I'd never—no one had Salukis until like the late mid eighties in Texas.
0: That—that's exactly right, and that that was the same out here. I I think the late seventies, early eighties were the first ones that I saw Saluki crosses. Uh, But uh, yeah, there just wasn't a lot of Salukis around. So, and that may be, that they may also, you can get into that, what I said about the, uh, the greyhounds, you know, the opposite may have been true. There was just less Salukis. There probably was less good Salukis, you know, I but see. there was some very good ones back then too. So let's, I think Azali and Impulse and Herb Wells, I think they could have ran with anybody's Salukis nowadays. They were incredible dogs, the caught rabbits that didn't seem like they were supposed to get caught, but uh, there's a high percentage of very good Salukis right now.
2: You know, I was going to ask you this too. You're running cold blood greyhounds now. And is it because this is what you've come to at the pinnacle of your life so far, hunting with coursing hounds? Or is this just a phase you're going in and you're just trying new things through, as you go through life? Like, what do you like the most? What kind of coursing dog do you like the most?
0: I like I like greyhounds. I, I, I started with greyhounds. Like, they were cold greyhounds when I was a kid. I like that early speed, uh, when two greyhounds get on a jack and he, he runs up and hits that dirt road and, uh, turns, you know, turns to the left or the right and you see those two dogs grabbing gears, trying to get to that, uh, rabbit. That is still like the most thrilling thing to me in the dog world. I
2: love it. Uh, it's
0: my favorite. I, I prefer it. You know, if I end up, you know, retiring and end up out your way, I may find that I have to, uh, you know, get, get colder or go, go with Salukis. I, I love them. I appreciate them. I think they're incredible, but I I'm a Greyhound guy at heart.
2: When I turn my two Greyhound heavy long dogs, they're about 80% Greyhound, a mix of cold and hot, man. I just love watching them go to one. Oh, if you get up a runner, that's like 50, 60 yards out and just flooring it. I just love watching Pronto and Calypso just blaze up on his tail it's just effortless and how powerful they are and i love it oh i am with you if i could run greyhounds i would i love it and that's not a disrespect to my salukis i really love my salukis but they are so exciting to watch run greyhounds oh it's just so fun to watch a dog run 45 miles an hour it's amazing
0: It, it's shocking, you know, and I know a lot of probably a lot of the listeners here have not really even seen what that's like. And you kind of can get a sense of it when you see greyhounds on the track going to that first turn. But uh, in the field, when you see them really having to make up that ground and they hit that other gear that they're capable of, you, even as long as I've been doing it, you you will still kind of step back and like, I cannot believe this animal is pumping and moving that fast to get to that uh rabbit. It's just it's 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 really uh something to
2: see. I love it and I could not agree more. I try to say it in every show I'm in. It their speed, a Saluki too. When I and that's something I think we you and I should both kind of clear the air on. When we say Salukis aren't as fast, we're not saying they're slow. <laughs> they're really fast. They're just not at a greyhound's extreme power level. They're, they're a, a Saluki is still running over 40 miles an hour. They're running, would you say, about 42 or so is their top speed?
0: Yeah, I think you know, you hear some much discrepancy. I mean, the, the bottom line is, yeah, they're a couple miles an hour slower than a Greyhound. It looks like a lot, actually. That's the, the thing. But yeah. Taste. But, but when that Saluki, uh, when you see those Salukis with them, I, if you've ever seen some of the real good footage of them chasing gazelle, most of them are like captured gazelle and it's those videos aren't that great. But when you see, uh I can remember seeing one where this dog was running across the desert after one, he's just pumping in the sand he's pumping. You're watching this video and you're thinking, I've been watching this video for two minutes and that dog is still just jamming. You know, like I said, I, I, I think they're, I think they're the fastest land animal after two minutes or two miles. I, I don't remember which one, maybe it's about the same, but, uh, <laughs> uh they, uh, uh, on, on earth, they can yeah. run anything. That's,
2: that's unbelievable. They're yeah. they're. I love watching speed dogs go to go to town on a, on a Jack. I really do. And, and, uh, I can appreciate both styles. Um, it is, um, well, that's why I like to talk to diverse people. And so I was just curious if, if that's where you are, cause you love the greyhound and, and that's really awesome to hear. And I'm glad there's still places that favor them. And, uh, it's just something I need to get out and experience more of because the West Texas guys, they love good speed too. And they're running on great cultivated land and it's not rocky and, and the desert chews up the greyhounds because of the rocks, not because of the cactuses, not because of the hills not because really that rock, the ground is not rock hard everywhere. It's the rocks. And I'm not talking about big rocks. It's the little rocks that are like the size of like a, I don't know, what would you say? Like a a head of broccoli that really destroys them when they're just everywhere. Yeah. When it's just like, the it's, it's like a caliche cobble on top of the desert sand. That's what kicks a greyhound's butt. And I don't know how, maybe you can explain this. I'm sure you can. Why does a Saluki Come back with perfect feet, and a greyhound's feet are torn up and bloody. I've seen it time and time again. Why?
0: You know, they they have different one running styles. For one, you know, like Salukis uh, get in holes way more than greyhounds do, and and get leg injuries that way. So they run, even though they look so similar to when you're watching them, they run more up and down, straight up and down. A greyhound is really like sliding along the ground. You know, they're lower, lower to the ground, and running more. you know, uh, uh, or horizontal than they are vertical. I think that's a big part of it. And uh, and they sustain different injuries because of that. But I think it's that. And I think just, I think you get back to genetics. I think those Salukis, they're from the desert. They were bred for thousands of years to run in the desert. So they come out here to your desert from Saudi Arabia or Iran or wherever they're from. And it's probably not a lot different than where they're from, where a greyhound for thousand years has been running on groomed fields in england and ireland and and all that so that toughness has to be kind of bred into them you know and like i say the track dog guys aren't helping us they're they're running on groomed uh, uh, groomed tracks and running in that oval is so I, I think genetics is a big part of it and the running styles is also it speed obviously is part of it as well you know they, they slow down they don't they don't get hurt as much and that's um, why mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I think you, you pointed out, you don't see your dogs all the time taking those hard turns out there. And uh, they can't when it's hard and dry, they'll, they'll shred their feet and hawks and all that where it gets nice and soft. Uh, you know, the videos I sent you, I sent you some where they were running when it was real green and some where they were running when it's real dry. If you look at the difference in the same dogs running there, it's totally different. Like when they're running on that green soft ground, they're just turning right with the rabbit. You know, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And when it's on the dry, uh, like you said, the hard pan, they they can't they can't do
2: that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. So I guess we'll bring it all the way back. We we just tangented big time, which is fine. I mean, that's kind of where the conversation went, but I want to bring it back to the other aspect, I think the other more famous, not more famous, not even close, the the more the other side of the sighthound competition hunting, and that is the Dutch salmon pack hunt. And I was curious if you had been there or if you had done it, but um, I can just give a brief overview. Um, So the way the Dutch salmon pack hunt works is you bring three dogs and you select those dogs and you have one hour to jump a hare. You give chase to the hare. If you catch the hare, you stay in. If you do not catch the hare, you're disqualified right there on the spot. And so it took me a long time to learn a lot of this stuff. And to, to really gather these diverse um, viewpoints with an open mind. Because to me, when I first started, and, and I want you to defend this, I, I guess you kind of already have, but like a lot of the complaints I hear is how can a dog win that didn't catch the rabbit? And it's like, well, they caught the rabbit and and so they keep going. But the Dutch salmon hunt is about a team. That's why it's called the pack hunt. It's not about dogs running against each other, it's about dogs running against the rabbit. And so I don't really care. And, and this is only speaking as an advocate of the Dutch salmon hunt from this perspective I'm taking now. This is not how I feel in real life, but um, I don't really care if a dog runs terror. Like, say you have two greyhounds, two speed bred hounds that are really cranking on a rabbit hard and they're doing all the work. And you have a saluki or whatever in the back that's just hanging back. And he waits until that rabbit's beat down and those speed dogs start to lose some wind. And that Saluki runs up and grabs that rabbit. And I'm oversimplifying this massively. Sure. That dog would not win in Nafka, That one that was just lazy in the back back there and just ran up and grabbed the rabbit. He probably wouldn't win, but in the Dutch salmon hunt, it doesn't matter because that's your pack. And it's about how they work as a team and it's about catching the rabbit. And so um, do you think that's an accurate description when I say it's, less about dogs competing with each other and more about dogs competing against the rabbit to catch the rabbit well i think i
0: think you're exactly right and you're trying to find the dogs that that hunt is trying to find the dogs that are the best at catching rabbits which majority of people probably doing what we do
1: uh honor yeah,
0: that too. And, and, yeah. and and uh yeah i can see the the beauty in that and uh and because i'm kind of a crossover guy like Look at the story I told earlier about the grand course winner catching all three rabbits it chased I felt really good about giving that dog the blue ribbon you know I'm like yeah I know this dog won on the point system but also uh it won in the good old boy system too you know it's piling up the jackrabbits so I um yeah I I, I definitely see the beauty in that it's a totally different totally different goal
2: yeah and that's that is what I learned and really loved and that's why I wanted to have you on I really wanted to have a master of Nafka explain what it is because um, I really love that. It's, it took me a while to learn that. I'll be honest with you because at first I was like, bah, I don't want to, I don't want to run a dog that can't catch a jackrabbit. You know what I mean? And so it, it is, it, it, but it's, I think you said it right. When you said refined, you know, it's a, it's a little bit more, ref, it, it's, it's not, I don't want to be disparaging. Cause I love the Dutch salmon hunt. You know what I mean? It's, it's just that it's a different, Maybe you can describe it better. It's a different way to look at it, I guess.
0: I can tell you that I respect both types equally. And growing up, uh, growing up in the with the good old boys, for lack of a better term, the guys that were just going out trying to catch rabbits, and that uh, my nature is to to I see the beauty in that. You know, that's that's really a pure sense. Like, hey, I went out. You know, if, if things got tough, I could go out with just my dogs. I don't even need a gun. I can go out and probably sustain my life, you know, with my dogs. That's, that's kind of the purest soap form of what we're doing. That's an amazing thing. The, the, the organized coursing events, like you said, it's more of a match between dogs, not a match against the game. And that is the difference. Some very good dogs would excel at both, you know, and can very well win at both. And uh, uh, there's great dogs in both venues, I'm sure. But, it's totally different. And it it I think it's it's not it's it is more of a different, it's more of a playing a game with the game than it is really, you know, it's competition between the dogs. That's yeah. the bottom line.
2: And yeah. it's really red. And I really want to do it. Oh when I first heard about it, I was never taught about it. And so I was like, eh, I don't know. And and i I'm not really a competition hunter. I've always been a quote unquote good old boy, only because I've never had that door open for me and also because I really love to just go out with my buddies and hang out, chat, watch some dog runs, cheer, like a bunch of hooligans and, and go home. But it's something I want to do because I want to see what I'm feeding compared to other people with Salukis, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, no no doubt. It is totally different. And uh, it's a lot of walking sometimes and uh, a lot of waiting around for your dog's turn. If you happen to get the last run of the day and, it's a tough day. We're not finding hairs. It can be very frustrating. So there's a lot of beauty in just uh, getting up and taking your dogs to where you want to go and running them where you want to go and doing what you want to do. But in the other in the other venue, competing at, it, with that sense really tells you where you're at with your breeding program. You get out and there's some there of the other is. better Salukis around there and you're competing against the best ones, you'll find out right there, mano a mano, well, how good is my dog compared to that dog? Well, guess what? You're going to find out today, buddy. And um, that's the beauty of that and uh, and the recognition that comes with it. Like like we were saying earlier, it's not the money in that that it is with the uh, coon hunting and, and stuff, but it... Uh, you do get a lot of recognition people know who won the grand course yep. you know even though it's a smaller venue and not a big deal or whatever those dogs will are remembered for a very long time you know and um, so yeah there's 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 something to that as far as a a uh, responsible breeder and uh, it, it, i think
2: it's part of the deal honestly i couldn't agree more i've heard uh, people that have never competed in africa and have only ran long dogs and when they were talking about comet's mother they were like, oh, she's like rated number one Nafka Saluki. And I'm like, ah, ah it matters. <laughs> they like
0: that part about it, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, I, i I'm looking forward to it. And and Paul Domsky is going to help me get into that world because he does it all the time and he has really yeah. good Slukies. So I'm yeah, really excited good. to get in there and run with him. Um, so yeah, I mean, man, can you believe an hour and a half has flown by? <laughs> I'm on no, the edge okay. of my seat.
0: <laughs> When you're thinking about the uh, podcast, you think, wow, you know, we're going to have to really talk about a lot of stuff. But when you're talking about your favorite subject in the world, uh, you realize it's not even long enough.
2: Bingo. Know? And and I'm going to ask you, um, is there anything you want to say? I, I've been uh, kind of guiding along, but I I've, I need to ask you, is there things you want to say about the competition sighthound community that I didn't even think about or uh, have missed?
0: No, not really. I think we've covered most of the, uh, the uh, subjects uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I've been kind of appreciative of the, the podcast and even though you don't think a lot of that translates uh, some of the guests and the different opinions uh, you know I've heard a lot of things uh, and I learned a lot the the, the hydration strategies and uh, how people are treating a Dogs that may be injured or dogs are getting tired, and just uh, you know, it's very helpful. You can learn a lot from the other dog communities, even though they seem like they're doing totally different stuff than we are. And uh, I've just I've appreciated the the podcast that I've listened to, and uh, there's been some great guests on there. And like I said, I think uh, I think we all can keep learning. You know, we learn something all the time, and uh, and a lot of it translates more than you think. It seems yeah. so different, but. We're all running dogs, you know?
2: Yep. And I work for this show and I'm going to be very honest, 98% of the time, I'm a student. Really, like I am right now. <laughs> and uh, I love it. I'm going to ask you something because it's been on our mind. and uh, the last la- the episode that aired this week, last episode, we talked a lot about breeding and we brought it up from a prior episode that Chris did with Heath Hyatt and another guest who is eluding me. I'm so sorry. Um, you breed your own litters, and I want to ask you, and this is a, a this is a, a, not a pointed question at all. I just kind of want to hear what you think. Do you line breed, or do you prefer to outcross, or did you do both? Like, what kind of is your breeding strategy currently? Because I know that's probably changed over the years.
0: I don't think there's, you know, with greyhounds, there's not a... I, I would like to outcross more, to be honest with you. I find myself line breeding more and trying to get away from that more all the time. I know that hybrid vigor and all that is a big deal. And I know the beauty of outcrossing and the strengths of it, but when there's so few actual coursing greyhounds and even the ones that they're coursing in England and Ireland still, uh, well, they don't even do it in, in England, but in Ireland, that's, that's just a sprint. That's actually, those dogs are actually hotter than track dogs. That, that chase is like 15 seconds, no turns. It's just, totally a burner deal and that's nothing like what we want it's nothing like what England and that were doing too, say 50 60 years ago if you look at waterloo cups they have old videos from the 20s and 30s the dogs were tracking the hair staying right on it and all that those abilities are kind of out are rare i should say so i try to focus on those abilities and I can't outcross a lot because I'll lose some of those abilities. So I'm constantly trying to seek out uh, other bloodlines to get that, get to keep the abilities that I have and and improve on, on the quality of my stock.
2: Who else has good cold blood greyhounds? I really don't know anybody. You're right. That's, that's a good point. That's what drew me to you to begin with.
0: (laughs) There's other people that are breeding in the United States, kind of similar to what I'm breeding, but not a lot of them actually chase hares or even compete. So there's, there are people that cross uh, uh, track dogs with show dogs, and breed these types of dogs. And I've seen some of them come out, and I've seen some of them do pretty well. Like it's so like, wow, that dog's got a lot of air for it. You know, that's there's a potential there. So it happens, but they're not really testing them. So. It's really challenging uh, when there's only a handful of greyhounds you're actually seeing that are uh, competing and 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 chasing jackrabbits. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the challenge.
2: I see. I see yeah, that's a that's an interesting it's a tough spot to be in and you're right. I mean, cold, good cold greyhounds. David Heist, you know, when I talked to him, he is a gold mine of information. He has been around. you know what I mean? And he used to say like you were saying, Everyone had greyhounds in Eastern New Mexico in the olden days, the dust bowl to the fifties and sixties, everyone had greyhounds. And now no one does. I, I had only seen retired racers and very few before I got into coursing dogs. I had to go to West Texas to get mine. And those are the first true coursing hounds I'd ever seen. And it's the community is small. And I guess that was kind of one of my final questions for you is where do you see the future of coursing going? in the next 50 years. I
0: I don't think like with the, all of the dog sports, I think we're going to have a fight on our hands to, to keep doing what we love. I don't, I don't, I don't really honestly, and I hate to make this end on a sad note, but I don't see it as really, uh, growing a lot because of just because we can't publicize it or really, uh, uh, yeah, reach out to other groups and everything like that. And that's, 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 and that's part of what hurts us with the breeding programs and stuff too. It's just that, um, we've kind of, uh, been pushed in a little bit of a corner. Uh, we, we do, uh, reach out to our constituents. And we, like I said, we've been in a big fight out here before with dogs, uh, and hunting, uh, and challenged by the aunties. Uh, but, I think that that's going to keep us kind of smaller than we'd like to be. And, uh, it's good to see there are some other younger guys doing it and stuff now, but I don't think that, uh, I don't know. I don't think we'll ever see the days the way they once were with a lot of people
2: doing it. I hear that often, sir. Yeah. I hear that often. Yep. And, uh, that's, a. I I really hope that is, I, I agree with you in that I it's, it's good that it's staying small in a lot of ways, but I guess that's the point of of podcasts, just like this one, is to to educate whoever wants to learn the truth about what hunting with dogs is all about and this lifestyle is all about. And uh, it's a lot more than just letting a greyhound go behind a rabbit. There's so much into it. Your life with hounds is a, a very involved and complex one, just like all hunting is. And it's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: So... Well, I mean, uh, I just wanted to ask if you had any final thoughts. We we again got tangented there, but uh, I'm I, you have covered everything I needed and more, brother. And so this has been a great time. And I just want to know if there's anything last you wanted to say to the world. No, I
0: just really enjoyed to talk, uh, having me on and talking to you. I appreciate it. Look forward to uh, actually meeting you. Hopefully sometime in the near future, we can get together and
2: chase a few rabbits. Karen wants to come this way. I need to go that way. It's a 13-hour drive to Karen's house. So we need to meet in like somewhere in like Nevada or or Arizona. (laughs) But I want to come and see your fields. I still have never run cultivated land. And I really want to. Dean Bohannon is going to be kicking me in the butt. For not being there, because I, I every year I miss going to Lubbock. He's been inviting me to Lubbock for now three seasons because I don't have both of my hounds sound at the same time, and I don't want to drive six hours with one dog. And I just need to, if that's the case, I just need to because this is their last year to be really beasts. They're four and a half, so they, they're going to just still be cranking strong. And uh, I really need to go run some cultivated land and experience something totally different because you know, Dean, their population's monstrous out there in Lubbock and Plainview. He's like, there's fields, we can't run because there's too many rabbits. And I'm over here drooling.
0: (laughs) And I'd I'd love to make it out there and see those guys too. I, I, you know, since, since Facebook came around, uh, it was great just seeing there was so many more people that do what we do. You, you know, you get kind of isolated and caught up in your own world and think, wow, there's only five of us that still do what we do. And then you realize, oh, there's a contingency in Texas. There's, Guys in Kansas, still Oklahoma, South Dakota. That's uh, that. That's really been great. That, I think part of it might hurt us too with too much publishing, uh, um, you know, kills and everything like that. I think you got to be careful with that stuff. Uh, but uh, definitely, it's been great. Just that that has been a great thing just to see that there still are a lot of other dog people out
2: there. I was admittedly an absolute hater of Facebook until I got in those dog groups. And it really has helped me a lot. And if you're using Facebook for what it's supposed to be used for, which is a social media site to like meet other people. I feel like it's a great tool. I mean, it's how I met you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so I look forward to more conversations with you, brother. I know we are going to have a lot more and uh, I want to get out there this winter. I got to travel some more. And now that we have the show, Maybe I can travel down there and we'll get an episode in person and maybe we'll get Karen and some other folks in on it.
0: You're always invited. I'd be happy to have you. And I'll even take you to where we find the rabbits in five
2: minutes. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and likewise, I'll take you to where we find the rabbits in 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, everyone, it doesn't matter if you're following a competition hound, you're following a competition coon, ho- coon dog. I'm just going to say from my perspective, the rabbit's up. We're hollering tally ho you follow your hounds and i'll follow mine thanks again steve for coming on bud thank you